God, I love it when I turn this thing on and it just works. It's about 50-50 these days. I turn on the mixer and I plug in the thing to the other doohickey and then I can hear my voice. Technology is amazing when it works. Like recently, I was in my car and it started to rain and the automatic uh, windshield wipers came on. It doesn't always happen. So, small victories. When, when it does happen, you just think, oh yeah, this is good. This is the future. I know automatic windshield wipers aren't the future. They're the past, but... It's a 2017 Mazda. You know, what are you going to do? Hey, welcome to the Bold Acting Podcast. My name is Jason Bryden. This is episode 21. Pretty sure not good accounting for Wednesday, September 20th, 2023. You're always allowed to start again. It's one of our great strengths. Author Sebastian Barry recently said something along the lines of this on an episode of Writers and Co. Writers and Company. Uh, CBC radio show. Do you listen to that one? You should, and I'll tell you why. It's mainly about books. Sometimes Eleanor Wachtel, the host, interviews filmmakers. It's mostly because of Eleanor Wachtel. She is the greatest living interviewer going these days. She is the best listener. She's the best researched without wearing her research on her sleeve. You know, I always remember that bugged me about Gion and Strombolopoulos. It was like they were trying to show off how much they knew about the guest. She doesn't do that. She surprises them by being so insightful. It's mostly because she listens, and she's also read their entire oeuvre, it seems, before she interviews the writer. She also does something really interesting with the pace. She controls it, and... The interviews never run away from her because she's in charge. You should give it a listen because I think this applies to acting and it applies to real life. We don't have to be in a rush to fill a silence. We don't have to say, um, I say it all the time. We don't have to say, like, I also say that all the time, which is weird because I'm not a teenager. We can just sit there and listen. The other great thing she does is when she asks a question, the guest answers it, she doesn't then, uh, what do you call it, cheerlead. So many, look, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and everybody has one, or everybody should have one. I'll get into that later. So many people, once an answer comes, they'll want to then support the, that answer by agreeing, by agreeing with it. There is none of this with her. There's no sycophancy. There's no pandering. Once she gets the answer she was looking for, there's just silence. And then she says the name of the author again. Salman Rushdie, Michael Andachi, John le Carre, Jennifer Egan. And you can hear her breathe. You can hear her just take an inhalation. <gasps> Jennifer Egan. And she goes on, she says the whole name of the guest, and then she goes on with her next question. I don't know why she does this. Uh, there's one other person that does it, Harriet Gilbert on the BBC World Book Club. I listen to a lot of books podcasts, okay? Get off my back. I, I think it's about pacing. I think it's about identifying who you're talking to, to people that are t tuning into a radio show late. Whatever it is, it's very charming. 
everything slows down, everybody starts to really listen. Imagine doing that in your auditions or your job interviews or your callbacks or your, just your relationships. Imagine just slowing everything down, controlling the pace, not getting stuck in this effusive energy we get into as we try and um, ingratiate, ingratiate ourselves to others. Did you hear that whistle? whistle? My Uncle Chuck had that before he died when he was really old. Ergo, I must be old. He was... He had a wicked whistle to him. He was such an elegant man. In the end, I remember he was... We were sitting there when we were talking, and he was talking about how he didn't like getting old. He was in his 80s. And he said, you know, I had the cyanide pill, but then I got... I bought it in my 50s, but then I got so old I forgot where I put it. And then he laughed, and then he got up to go and get us. He wanted me to see a picture or something. And as he walked away, I could see his diaper um, above his waistband. Anyways, the whistle. We're so busy ingratiating ourselves or rescuing others, making sure everybody's having a great time, that we get this sort of heightened, uh, panicky energy where we're both telling the person they're okay and at the same time, signaling to them that, 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 that you yourself want to be okay, that your life is okay. And our eyebrows go up on our head, and our voice gets high, and we talk about things that aren't really of interest to us, how great everything is. Now, I'm not saying the alternative is, that, is to go around and truth-bombing people with how sad and desperate you may be. I guess what I get from Eleanor Wachtell is a, a, a soothing influence the way she will not take the bait. She just listens. And from this comes a wholly confident woman who says to the audience, I've got this. I've taken care of everything. Don't worry. Just sit back and relax. I'm in control. That's a great performer right there. That's what you want to emulate. You want to be that responsible actor that shows up for work early, has all their lines memorized, and won't shit the bed in the middle of the day when they're tired after they've, after they've eaten a bunch of carbs and meat at lunch. Meet me over here for a quick, for a quick um, breakout room meeting. When you do get the gig, don't eat lunch. Or if you do eat lunch, just eat it from Crafty. Here's what I do. I never go to lunch because it's too delicious. And then you sit there for an hour. We should do away with lunch altogether and just do French hours. You sit there. You get a huge pile of chicken and fish and vegetables. And they have dessert at the same time. So you've got your dessert right there. There's no... You pick up the dessert before you get full from the dinner. You don't even have a chance to decide. You just know you're going to have it all. Then you have time. So that takes about a half an hour. Then you have time to lie around in the sun or whatever. And then you've got to go back to work? No, absolutely not. I always just get tuna fish and vegetables, no carbs, from Crafty, and I eat away from the tent of shame with all the food, the buffet. Uh, this is not to deprive myself of fun. 
I don't go and eat by myself in my shitty trailer. No, I stay with the people for sure. That's the whole, that's the thing. That's why I do it is to connect with other actors. What I found is ingesting 800 calories in the middle of the day does me no favors. I wish we did French hours. I've only done that a couple times on a couple gigs, and that is when you don't ever stop for lunch. You just keep working, and the caterers come around with trays of food, finger food. So you don't starve. You keep working, and your energy levels stay up. Now, they've got to pay a penalty for this, thanks to our union. So the union wants you to have a substantial meal and a break. Fair enough. I just don't think it works. I think it's better if you just keep working, you finish up early, and you have a bunch of snacks throughout the day. Anyways, where was I? Author Sebastian Barry says something like, no matter what you have left behind, no matter how you've lived or not lived, whether you're young or middle-aged or old, you can always start again. It's one of our great strengths. Now, it takes a bit of larceny. There's a taste of bile in the back corners of your mouth when you decide to start again. When you admit that, okay, maybe that wasn't working, I've got to try something new. That taste is shame. Spit it out. That comes from baggage and other people's expectations of you. Fuck all that. Keep going. For instance, actors start again all the time. They do a show or they do a creative project or they do an audition, they have all this self-doubt, they get up and start again the next day. The courage of actors to go out there and start again the next day, to be human in public. It's a very inspiring thing. You know, they're, they're brave. They're, we're brave just to remember all those lines and to be all those messy things that normal people tend to hide from others. And maybe we should. You know, but maybe just in the real world. Maybe the way people act in a play is not the way we should be living. But we require these stories for something intrinsic. We need to see it, to know ourselves, to, to not feel alone. We go and see something to not feel alone, to be inspired for ideation, for a release, a communal experience, to go outside of the home and to enter the front of another house, darkened on purpose, dusty often. You gain admittance. You're allowed to sit there as the audience member, but not much else. Practice your listening. Bring cough drops. Pre-order intermission at wine. Wear diapers if you have to, and don't expect legroom. That's the theater for you. Turn your phone off. Leave your phone at home. We're here for a communal experience. Nothing ruins a movie uh, more than people on their damn phones. The movies are the cinemas. The, the cinemas, the theaters are, are um, self-destructing. Yes, because people can watch stuff at home and because of Netflix but also because of the phone, because they let the phone in, because they encourage the use of the phone, because there's games up on the big screen at the, at the Cineplex that, that, where you're required to interact with the game via an app through your phone. And then they say to you, okay, time to turn the phone off and put it away. Mixed messages, people. Leave the phone at home. Be with other people. But people are too annoying. That's why I don't go out anymore. Maybe it's just me. 
But what of our past and how much of it is an indicator of our future? Am I destined to be an underemployed actor, an unpublished author, an unknown podcaster with an underrated newsletter, or can we surprise ourselves? I don't go out, as I just mentioned. Last weekend, I was at Polish Fest here in Roncesvalles. Roncesvalles, a Spanish name taken from a battle during the, during the Napoleonic Wars. A Colonel O'Hara fought there. He lost there, too, to the French. Then he helped put down the Rebellion of 1837 in Upper Canada, and he was given 400 acres west of York for his efforts. That's my neighborhood. So I stood there in a beer garden in front of the library. I can't stand for long anymore. It kills my feet. I don't know what's wrong with me. And I can't hear people. My hearings... I'm always bending down to put my ear near their mouths, like a heron listening for fish. Recently, I had my hearing checked because I was always saying, what? Whenever my kids spoke, like a hundred times a day. It was so annoying. The verdict is, however, I've Uh, Although I've suffered minor hearing loss, I am not in need of hearing aids. So, once again, not my fault. I regularly lord this over my mumbling children. Assessment of blame is is key in our household, and I encourage you, if it's not, to make it very important in yours. It's really fun pointing the finger of blame at others. But I cannot do the same at a beer garden with my neighbors. I'm there with my neighbor, Brad. He's, um, he used to be Jack Layton's chief of staff. I've been an NDPer ever since I could vote. I, I became a man in East Van. It's what you did. And I'm not loyal. You know, I'm not just an NDP apologist. It's just that the other two gangs are always in charge, and I like an underdog. And I'd also like someone less lazy than me to clean up this mess they've made. Those other two. So that leaves the Libby Davies and the Jenny Kwans and the Sven Robinsons and the, Leo, the Olivia Chows and the Jug Meats of the world to push around the vacuum. And just like cleaning a house is never finished, so too is that bridesmaidian task of being a dipper, as they call us. Bronze, third place, third wheel. But ever righteous in our cause. The stress of running in an election... That seems too much. But there's stress everywhere. We're drinking outside the High Park Library. That's a Carnegie Library. I mean, that must have been stressful to build in 1910 with Andrew Carnegie breathing down your neck, the billionaire. Imagine being a billionaire in 1910. Nowadays, it's like, who isn't? What about organizing the Polish festival? That must be stressful. It's got to be the biggest Polish festival of its kind outside of... Poland. As my 11-year-old reminded me, there's a lot of red lipstick and leopard skin shirts this time of year. I know exactly what it means, and I can predict much of his romantic future by that one statement. My riding has historically either voted NDP provincially or liberally or liberal federally. Walking home that night, I see not one but two cars with bumper stickers that read, I support the truckers' convoy, freedom convoy, wake up, stand up. But right right outside of Brad's house is my favorite. This bumper sticker says, truck fudo.
It says I'm both politically activated and hilarious. Come talk to me. I'll set you straight. But we'll leave friends. I've got a ton of puns up my sleeve as well as the truth. So if there's stress everywhere, then why, why has selling my house been so stressful? I mean, it's just a house. Ten years, almost eleven here. Two kids, partly whelped, a friendly ex-wife, a bloodthirsty cat. Renovated inside and out. I didn't want to sell. I put it on the market out of necessity. But then I wanted to sell. But then I didn't get the price I thought it was worth, 1.9. Then I was desperate to sell when things went quiet. Two weeks of sleepless nights. Then it finally happened, 1.9. Phew. Now I can't stop exhaling loudly. But what chance do I have of breaking out from my middling destiny if I can't manage one real estate deal? Can I build this bold acting business into a going-slash-staying concern? It will be a first. Tell me real estate is worse, more gut-wrenching, more awful because of the emotion than starting a business. Tell me I'm doing it right, bootstrapping it, doing everything myself, refusing not to go into debt. Or maybe I'm just nervous. I mean, maybe this is my destiny. Maybe I'll just always be worked up. In 1998, I wrote and performed a one-man show at the Vancouver Fringe called Nervous. It was an hour of navel-gazing. It wasn't good. I got it out of my system. I was so worked up, my mother, as she's done a few times in my life, asked me why I do it to myself. Why do I need to act? Why do I need to go out there? I don't know. I just have to. Maybe it's so that... When it's over, I can feel relief again. Maybe it's because I get addicted to the endorphin rush. I got into the habit of dry heaving before going on stage at Vancouver Theater Sports. There's an endorphin rush to puking. I would make myself dry heave before going on stage. I had to stop because somebody caught me doing it. And I was embarrassed. Do we play a role in our own anxiety? You know, when I was a bad flyer in my 20s, it didn't matter how many Ativan I took. I got them from my dad. He was my first pill pusher. I'd still hyperventilate on takeoffs and landings, no matter how sedated I was. Maybe the nerves I've always had will be the nerves I'll continue to have. The egoism of mental ill health. It's me, 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 me. Look at me. I'm scared. I'm alone. Why are these short people I live with looking at me like I have the answers? I don't know shit. Am I doing this right? Am I really doing my best? Does that exist? The bad guy in the movie doesn't go around saying, I'm doing my worst. Everyone thinks they're doing their best. Everyone is delusional. We didn't do our best just like unconditional love doesn't exist. And the same goes for free will, by the way. My best? No, that wasn't my best. The best is yet to come. It has to be. I'm not into a downhill slide. I'll never concede defeat. I'm just getting better and better. I'm batting for the fences, come hell or high water. Here come some more mixed metaphors. I'm just getting started. Introducing a different kind of on-camera acting class. In separating myself from the pack, 
I am offering two key differences in my teaching practice, encouragement and under ambition. In my experience, there's a dearth of blind support in acting classes. I will be your cheerleader. Why not? There's too many naysayers out there and in your big old brain already. And by under ambition, I mean the opposite of being in a state of constant hustle that leaves us creators feeling like we're not enough. Making art should be enough. So that's what I practice and that's what I teach. For more information on classes, go to boldacting.com slash classes. That's boldacting.com slash classes. Sign up for the Bold Acting newsletter today. Go to boldacting.substack.com. I need to grow my community, and the best way to do that is through word of mouth. If you like the Bold Acting newsletter, won't you share it with friends? There's a share this post button on every issue. To reward this loyalty, Substack has started a points program that you can find out more about at boldacting.substack.com. And now the Bold Acting Newsletter for Sunday, September 17th, 2023. Create a business plan. Hope gets in the way of accurately predicting the future. When creating a business plan, always put your worst-case scenario first. We are forever oscillating, or is it vacillating, between two modalities. Everything's going to be all right, and we're doomed. A solid business plan puts you somewhere in the middle, somewhere near, meh, it'll probably not work out for me, but there will be fleeting moments of mitigated joy along the way. In 1999, I'll win a pull tab in a bar in LaConnor, Washington for $137. I'll date someone well out of my league in 2004, Sarah, for a little over three weeks. I'll sire boys in 2010 and 2012. Plan for disappointment. When predicting profitability, model for your first, second, and third year. Don't bother with four or five. No one can predict anything that far out. Besides, it'll most likely be we're doomed. The longer you stick around this place, life, the more you'll realize the natural state of everything is we're doomed in the shape of decay, dismay, or insolvency. If you're any of those three, then you're doing it right. You're living according to nature. It's human folly that requires us to be more than. Animals, they don't have hope, equals freedom. Who's to blame? Well, it's God, obviously. If that idea gets all the credit, shout out to American football players, then that idea should also get the blame. God made evil. God made us ambitious. Ambition is the root of all evil. Therefore, it's God's mistake, not ours. How do we abide? In Lin Yutang's 1937 book, The Importance of Living, he suggests the scamp as the ideal. Quote, The modern man takes life far too seriously, and because he is too serious, the world is full of troubles. End quote. The scamp is known for their mischievousness, their naughtiness, ability to play, to be unruly and awkward. This is also a good definition of the artist. You can't make art without making play. You don't have to call yourself an artist to possess these qualities. You just have to not take yourself seriously. As soon as you are playful, you are creating. As soon as you make it about something other than yourself, you are creating. You take your art seriously, sure, but not yourself. And then when you feel awkward, you stay there. Don't be cool. 
Don't run away. Revel in the fact that you don't know everything. Sit there and enjoy the flush of heat, the bloom of pink in your cheeks. Everyone is watching you flounder. You are feeling something. It is living. It is spontaneous. And it is the truth. Now we can look at our spreadsheet, and in the gains gains column, it will read life. And in the loss column, it will also read life. It's a highly unsatisfactory business, this living thing. We think about it too much. We take it all too seriously. It could be a game. I'm probably remembering this incorrectly, but in the 1999 documentary, Just Watch Me, National Film Board, the interviewer asks Pierre Trudeau how he managed the stress of the job. And he said something along the lines of, I treated being the prime minister like a game. It's just a game. And I wanted to win it. But it's a game. If I focused on the enormity of the job, I would have had a heart attack. Our business plan reminds us there will be failure before there is success. In its two-dimensional flimsiness, we see once more that all is impermanent. We try stuff. Some works, some doesn't. This too will soon be over, and no one will remember you or your worries. Policy is for people. How else to stare down adversity? How best to metabolize our worries, the stress, the grind? Well, metaphorically speaking, you take your shirt off, shotgun a beer at high noon, and run through the streets with your middle fingers extended. The art of play, not giving fucks, as we now repeat ad nauseum, being a scamp, was in us from the beginning. See cave paintings, indigenous oral storytelling tradition, court jesters, etc. This needn't require transition, only adoption, and it can happen in the blink of an eye. Make it the thing you are. Make it policy. You don't need a reason. You just try it on for size. This is who I am now. This is what I do. I don't take myself too seriously. I'm a bit of a rascal. Even when it comes to writing business plans or learning about spreadsheets or paying attention to your money, if it's a game, then it'll be a little more fun. What else helps is exposure therapy. The more you do something, the more you tend to like it. Life is the Stockholm Syndrome you make it. What gets us to the meh, Life probably won't work out, but there'll be moments of joy along the way. Fastest is stomping out expectation of the world around you. Have low expectations for others. Have high ones for yourself. In The Importance of Living, Yutang quotes a 17th century critic named Qin Shengtan, who wrote 33 Happy Moments. Here's one of them. I am drinking with some romantic friends on a winter night and am just half intoxicated, finding it difficult to stop drinking and equally difficult to go on. I notice the night has turned cold. I open a window and see that snowflakes are coming down the size of a palm and there are already three or four inches of snow on the ground. Ah, is this not happiness? Romantic friends, a fresh snowfall, drinks. What else is there? If that isn't the definition of 
meh, maybe not work out for me, but sometimes there'll be joy, then bring on the um, we're doomed. I can take it. I'm going to take this life of mine, push it up against a brick wall outside a bar, and steal a kiss, because I expect the worst. And when it comes, I celebrate its arrival. I'm into adversity. I like it. I feed off of it. All that which was bad is what I want, and it is good. So give me the scratches, the tears, the yelling. Give me the rain, the thunder, and the lightning. I will not shy away from it all. It's just a game, and I'm going to win, no matter what the numbers say. And now it's time for advice from industry pros. First up is commercial director Jeff Lowe. Jeff Lowe is known the world over for his unique comedic style. I've known him for years. He's a real student of comedy. Here's his advice to his younger self. I would say that the thinking, the worrying, the planning, the conspiring, that's not the thing. Doing is the thing. So you have to do something. You can't just consider it forever. So get busy doing and stop planning and thinking. And I would say that, you know, if you're going to shoot something, planning in the shoot, that's doing. So it's just bring everything into the real world quickly because you will find out if it's a waste of time quickly. And if it feels like a waste of time, then pursue something else. Be resilient in that way. I think that's the biggest piece of advice. Don't just get out of your head and get out there and make it, you know, connect with the real world. Because that's where everything's going to live anyway. Um, so I hope that helps someone somewhere. Um, I love Jason. <laughs> I love Jeff. We met on a stride campaign years ago. But then we really, we really um, hit our peak, went deep, had a great time. Spending three consecutive years in Bucharest making commercials for male incontinence products. And you can hear more about that on my other podcast, To My Glorious Self. Uh, Romania is such an amazing place. And as Jeff said uh, in an earlier interview a few years ago, there are a lot of one-bedroom apartments in this city I'd like to check out. And what he meant by that was is that Bucharest was the one city on earth that he had been to that most closely resembled what his brain looks like. Now that's funny. This is Christy Bruce. I've known her since the 90s. Have you heard of them? In Calgary. Oh, sweet, sweet southern Alberta, how I miss thee. Christy is an actor, a teacher, and improviser at Second City, and one of the best around. Hi, my name is Christy Bruce, and I've been an actor in Toronto for over 20 years now. Advice to my younger self. Number one, the people on the other side of that audition table, or self-tape nowadays, they want to see you succeed. 
They are not there just to judge you and find your faults. So stop going into rooms thinking that. Number two, if the role is meant to be yours, it will be yours. This is not a competition with other actors. You bring what you bring. You do what you do. If you are right for the role, you will book it. And if you aren't, you won't. So don't take it personally. And three, it's all bullshit. All of it. So find joy when you can. Love what you do and have gratitude. But always remember, in the end, it's all bullshit. It's beautiful bullshit. It is bullshit. That is very well said. It seems like they're there in that room judging you, though. But you're right, Christy. They are looking. They're just looking for the right one. They're looking for you to save them. They want you to be the one that saves them, that makes them look good. You've got to be that actor that makes everyone else look good. It's called being a responsible actor. It's somebody who has dotted their I's and crossed their T's. That's all you can control. When you were meant for a role, it means that you've done all that you can, and luck is on your side, and you are also the look they're going after, for the most part. Remember, a lot of these decisions are made by committee, which is the worst way to make a decision. Keep that in mind. A lot of money is on the table. People are risking things. So you've got to be that incomparable, magical, fleeting answer to all their unanswerable questions. Think of it like a puzzle that's missing a few pieces. It's never going to be easy. And it's not going to make a lot of sense. So take the pressure off. It's not up to you. Really. A great antidote to the bullshit, though, is to make your own bullshit. Make your own stuff. Keep making it, day after day after day. Make it small, make it manageable, like a goal. But make it like it has a beginning, middle, and an end. You know, all the hustle on the social meds, I don't know. When I do it, I don't feel a sense of accomplishment. Not like when I tell an actual story. Yeah, that's the fulfilling part. So go out and do that. Instead of waiting around for the phone to ring or wringing your hands or clutching your pearls or comparing yourself to others. Because it's bullshit. But if you choose this bullshit over someone else's, then make some yourself. It behooves you. Thanks for listening to the Bold Acting Podcast. If you liked it, spread the word. Tell your friends about me. Talk me up at your cocktail parties. If you didn't like it, just keep your mouth shut. No one likes a whiner. For more information on classes, go to boldacting.com classes. And to sign up for the newsletter, go to boldacting.substack.com. Until next time. <laughs>